read and taught um, and explained to us so that we know what they mean and how to apply them to our lives. Now, this weekly practice of gathering with other believers for the worship event was a regular part of my growing up. And maybe it was for you as well, for many of you. Um, And, you know, even though that gathered worship experience was pretty much the same every week, and even though there were times during my teenage years that um, I found some of it very rote, and very boring, Uh, the practices of worship made their way into my heart and mind. That repetitive experience, the hearing and the repeating and the reciting over and over again, they made their way into me. And now, as an adult, I think of the weekly worship experience um, more like eating and drinking and sleeping. It's something you should do all the time because It is a crucial part of your spiritual growth and formation, okay? Some of my most powerful encounters with the Holy Spirit happened during corporate worship experience, the gathered um, worship of the body of Christ. Um, They didn't take place during the Sunday morning worship experience. They were mostly at special worship gatherings, I suppose you would call them. Uh, One experience was when I was 17 years old and our church had a revival. Now some of you, I'm trying to see if there's any teenagers. Ooh, Rachel Eaton. Some of you might be too young to know what a revival is. Well, a revival was usually held midweek at the church and usually had a guest pastor that would come in and, and preach. And when I was 17, uh, Sam Morris, Reverend Sam Morris, who I wish Anita Johnson was here today. I don't see her, but Sam was her youth pastor. And he, I know he holds a special place in her heart as he does mine. But Sam came to preach at our revival. And I, I'm telling you, I do not remember what he preached about. I do not remember what he said. But I remember that as he preached, his words were coming into me and the Holy Spirit started speaking to me and whatever he was saying was exactly what I needed to hear. And I remember feeling both convicted and deeply loved all at the same time. And as a result of that worship experience, I chose to make some serious changes in how I was living my life. It was a worship event that played a role in changing the trajectory of my life. When I first came to Parkway Heights, our staff attended a large conference in Atlanta, and there was a moment before one of the sessions where over 3,000 people were all singing and praying and praising God together, and the music leaders just stopped the music and let the sound of our collective voices be the only music that filled the room. And as I heard the sound of all of our voices being lifted up in agreement that God alone is holy and God alone is worthy of our praise, the presence of the Spirit in that place became almost tangible. It was so apparent to me. And 
in that moment of worship with this gathered body of believers, I felt really small, but I did not feel insignificant. I felt like I am a part of something much bigger than myself. And I gained a confidence in that moment um, that I was a significant part of the community of faith and God would continue to use me for his purposes. That happened as a part of a worship, a gathered worship experience. Last one, when I was in college, I helped with our youth group in, in Batesville, First United Methodist in Batesville, Mississippi. And there was um, a teenager who, one of the teachers in our school district who attended our church, found out about a student who basically had been abandoned by his parents. And he was living alone in the trailer where they had all once lived together. The only meals he received were the ones at school. And so she had noticed him and started asking questions and their family took him in and she started bringing him to church and he started coming to youth group. And so he was, had never heard about Jesus. He had never been in a church. He had no idea about the practices and the habits that we were doing. And I remember on a Sunday night, my dad was up there. We were doing the Lord's Supper and he was saying, this is the body of Christ and this is the blood of Christ. And he grabbed my arm and he looked at me in horror and he said, is that real blood? And I said, oh, no, 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 that is not blood. That is grape juice. <laughs> and, and so we were teaching him all these practices. Well, we went on a youth retreat. And, oh, my gosh, we were in this gathered worship moment. The, the word had been preached. People in the room, teenagers and adults alike, but mostly teenagers resonating with what the preacher had been saying. And you could just feel the presence of the Spirit in that place. And we were just praying and the offer was made. Like, if you, if you want to make a commitment to Christ, please come forward and we will pray over you. And we will support you in that decision. And I remember I was praying my guts out for this kid, right? I was just praying so hard. And and he got up and he went forward, not because he felt like he was supposed to or was obligated to. He was compelled. And he went to that altar and he gave his life to Christ. And every kid in that youth group, who I didn't know this was going to happen, got up and laid their hands on him and prayed over him and wept over him because they knew his story. And it was transformational for him. I mean, he was glowing. The next day, he was radiating a different kind of light than he had been. And it changed the youth group. And that worship experience was another one that solidified my call to ministry. Like, I want more of that. Worship experiences are powerful. I tell you those stories to say that corporate worship is essential to the follower of Christ. Jesus said, where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am in the midst of them. It is powerful to gather with other believers in the presence of Christ. When we're gathered, we're encouraged and we're strengthened by one another and by the very presence of Christ with us. We learn from each other. We support one another. We remind each other what is good and what is true and what life is really 
supposed to be about. When we gather to focus our hearts and our minds on the, the Lord and on His Word, we're making ourselves available to Him to receive something from Him, for Him to speak a word to us. The Holy Spirit fell and filled the believers at Pentecost as they were gathered in corporate worship. They were praying together. They were praising God together. And as a result of being filled with the Holy Spirit during their gathered worship experience, they left that gathered setting. They went out into their community and began to proclaim the truth of Jesus so that everyone who heard them understood what they were saying and believed the truth about Jesus. 3,000 people believed in Jesus Christ as Lord that day as a result of of their response to what happened to them in worship. 3,000 people were added to the family of God because a small group of believers came together to pray and worship and wait for the promised Holy Spirit to come upon them. And after that day, do you know what those believers continued to do? They continued to gather together. Acts chapter 2, verses 46 through 47 says, Day by day, as they spent much time together in the temple, they broke bread at home, and they ate their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having the goodwill of all the people. And day by day, the Lord added to their number those who were being saved. They gathered regularly, habitually, and the Lord added to their number. Communal worship is important because it reminds us of God's presence and power with us. It reminds us of our need for God and it moves us to respond to the goodness of God and how, by how we live there our lives. And see, that's the key right there. Worship doesn't stop when we leave the gathered time here. Worship is not simply an event. Worship is a lifestyle. My worship of God continues. It's supposed to continue in the way I live my everyday life. And that's what the Apostle Paul is saying in our Romans 12 passage today. Present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual act of worship. Now, I want you to hear that again, but this time from Eugene Peterson's uh, paraphrase, the message. So here's what I want you to do, God helping you. Take your everyday, ordinary life, your sleeping, eating, going to work, and walking around life, and place it before God as an offering. Now let's pause right pause for a second. What Paul is saying in these verses is profound because no longer. Was there a priest in the temple who would receive your sacrificial animal or other type of offering um, that you would bring and, and then that priest would then take that and place it before the Lord? That, that didn't happen anymore because Christ served as our sacrifice once and for all people for all time. Paul says, though, that doesn't mean you have nothing to offer to the Lord. Paul says, you have your very life. The sacrifice we are to bring before God is our very selves, all of ourselves. 
every part of ourselves, our desires, our loves, our habits, our thoughts, offering our lives to God and saying, I am yours. I offer you all of me. And then living that out in practical ways, letting that choice impact your everyday Living your every day, as Eugene Peterson says, ordinary, sleeping, eating, going to work, and walking around life, that is your worship. That is your spiritual act of worship. So that's the first part of that Romans 12 passage, but then Paul continues. He says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds so that you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Or again... Eugene Peterson's version, I love the way he says this, don't become so well-adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. Instead, fix your attention on God. You'll be changed from the inside out. Readily recognize what he wants from you and quickly respond to it. Unlike the culture around you always dragging you down to its level of immaturity, God brings out the best of you, develops well-formed maturity in you. So Paul is acknowledging something here, and he's giving us a little bit of a caution. He's acknowledging that there is a powerful force working on us all the time that is seeking to form what we love and therefore dictate what we will worship. Paul calls it the world. He says, do not be conformed to this world. Or as the Living, New Living Translation states it, do not copy the behavior and customs of this world. Or as Eugene Peterson said it, don't become so well adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking because the culture around you is always dragging you down to its level. So I was reading recently a book entitled You Are What You Love by a man named James K.A. Smith. And he says that we become like what we worship and we worship what we love. And our loves are shaped by the practices and habits that we immerse ourselves in. We'll say that one more time. We become like what we worship. We worship what we love. And our loves are formed and shaped by the practices and habits that we immerse ourselves in. So these formative love-shaping practices are called liturgies. And, and I know that's a super churchy word, but liturgies are simply practices and habits that form us and orient our hearts in a certain direction. So we practice liturgies and worship services all the time, don't we? All the time. We say, what if I said, the Lord be with you? So you know the liturgy. Uh, when I'm watching Star Wars and anyone says, may the force be with you, I'm always like, and also with you. <laughs> it just kind of got in there. Um, every time we baptize someone, that's a practice that forms us and shapes us. There are certain words we hear. There are certain words we respond with. And all of it shapes and forms us and reminds us what is true about God and what is true about us. When we participate in the Lord's Supper, that is a practice that that forms us and orients our hearts and our minds towards God and reminds us to receive his grace and to give that grace 
that we have so freely been given to others, right? Liturgies, coming to worship regularly and participating in those liturgies over and over again, right? It gets in. Just like I said, when I was growing up, it was a regular part of my life. It got in. Even when I got like, oh, so I'm a too cool teenager. This is boring. It was getting in. It was getting in, right? Now, there are also cultural liturgies that, that we swim in, right? Um, what if I said Southern Miss? Yeah, yeah, that's a liturgy. It's a call and response, right? Um, those, those kinds of liturgies are everywhere. Um, and some of them just that are, they're not bad or anything. They just exist. But there are, there are rival liturgies everywhere that compete for our hearts. They compete for our loves. They compete for our desires. And again, what's, what is a liturgy? A habit or a practice that is meant to orient our hearts in a certain direction. So the liturgies of church are meant to orient our hearts towards God. Cultural liturgies, kind of what Eugene Peterson was saying. They're kind of dragging you down and getting, getting your heart disoriented in a sense. So social media has become a cultural liturgy. It is a habit. It is a practice that people participate in. And it is forming us and shaping the way we think because we, we, we compare ourselves when we look at that. We start, our desires are shaped by what we think we're supposed to be like or what we're supposed to be doing based on what we're seeing and hearing and reading on social media. Think about children with any sort of smartphone or an iPad. They don't want those things or love those things or know how to use those things because their parents sat them down and extolled extol to them the, the uh, benefits of how smartphone is so helpful in your life. They learned it by watching the habits and practices of the people around them. So this new technology, right, has kind of become a cultural liturgy. It's a habit and a practice that we immerse ourselves in, and it is forming and shaping us. And that's why we want to put some boundaries and understanding on those things, right? Um, in a famous commencement address at Kenyon College, Dr. David, uh, writer David Foster Wallace, he wasn't even trying to be theological when he was giving this commencement address, but listen to what he said about worship and how... We were made to worship something, and we're going to worship something, and we're going to love something, okay? Keep that in mind. He says, in the day-to-day -day trenches of adult life, there is no such thing as not worshiping. Everybody worships. The only choice is, uh, the only choice we get is what to worship. If you worship money and things, if they are where you tap real meaning in life, then you will never have enough. Worship your own body and beauty and sexual allure and you will always feel ugly. And when time and age start showing, you will die a million deaths before they finally bury you. On one level, we already know all this stuff. The trick is keeping the truth up front in our daily consciousness. He continues, worship power, you will feel weak and afraid and you will need even more power over others to keep that fear at bay. Worship your intellect, being seen as smart, and you'll end up feeling stupid, a fraud, always on the verge of being found out. Then he says the insidious thing about these forms of worship is that they're unconscious. 
They're the kind of worship you just gradually slip into day after day, getting more and more selective about what you see and how you measure value without even being fully aware that that's what you're doing. Cultural liturgies that we immerse ourselves in can start forming our loves and forming our desires and disorienting our hearts in ways that make the practice of worship so important. Paul is teaching us in Romans 12 that we don't have to be caught off guard. We don't have to be unaware about the things that are forming and shaping us. We don't have to conform mindlessly to the mindset of the world. We can develop habits that orient our hearts toward God and that determine what we're pouring into our minds how we are using our bodies, how we're using our money, our time, and how we are treating other people. And when we immerse ourselves in the practices that Jesus taught us, practices like humility, generosity, self-denial, kindness, loving and forgiving others, including our enemies, then even our unconscious desires and longings are reoriented towards God and what He wants for the world. Our desires and our loves become God's desires and God's loves. Paul is saying, that's worship. That is worship right there. Intentionally offering yourself to God every day and then behaving as someone who has surrendered to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. And see, that is also what it means to be a disciple, isn't it? A disciple is someone who has surrendered their lives to the Lordship of Jesus Christ and follows Him. So Christian worship, whether it's the communal, gathered worship of fellow believers or the worship that you live out every day when you offer your whole self to God and set your mind on Him, is essential to the life of the disciple. Worship is essential to the life of the disciple. One last thing. Disciples are followers, not simply learners. Sometimes we think being a disciple means to be a learner. Learner is definitely a part of being a disciple of Jesus, but it's not everything. As we've said, the orientations of our hearts and our our loves are based on not only what we know, but on what we do based on what we know. They're formed by our practices. They're formed by our habits. And so we want to ask ourselves, am I following Jesus, like following him? Or do I just know a lot about him? Is what I do, how I live in every aspect of my life, a reflection of what I know and believe? Is my life a reflection of my Savior Jesus? Please be brave and ask yourselves these brutally honest questions. Take a look at your habits. Look at how you spend your money, how you spend your time, what you bring into your mind regularly, what you're watching, what you're listening to, what you're reading, the kinds of conversations you're having. Take a look at that. What are your habits and practices telling you about your loves? What are they revealing to you about what your real desires are. And then when you look at that and you hold that before God and you say, Lord, here's me. 
Okay, here's my life. Here's my habits. Here's my practices. Here's what I think about. Here's what I'm pouring in. Help me discern here what needs reordering. What, what needs to happen here so that my heart and my mind are reoriented towards you? Is there some renewing of my mind that needs to take place? Right, that is how we are transformed more and more into the image of Christ. And we don't do it on our own. We do it in the power of the Holy Spirit who's helping us. So instead of being continually conformed to the pattern and behaviors and the customs of this world without even thinking about it, can we become intentional followers of Jesus and take a look and make some decisions and be, make some true changes where we need to so that we are oriented towards God? Keep coming to worship, you know, the gathered worship experience on Sunday morning, and I'm literally preaching to the choir right now. You know the saying, I mean, like, y'all are the ones that are here. Hi, you're here all the time. We're in the middle of a pandemic, and you're at church. So spread the word to somebody who's not here. Come to worship. We're not perfect, and it's not going to blow your hair back every week, but that's not the point. It's like you eat food every day because you got to eat food, right? You sleep. You need sleep to be healthy. You drink so you can be healthy. You come to worship with the gathered community of faith so you can be spiritually healthy and reminded of what is true. Right? I'll close with this exhortation from Colossians 3, verses 1 through 4. So if you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above and not on things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is your life, is revealed, then you also will be revealed with him in glory. Amen? Amen. Let's pray together. Lord God, we thank you for reminding us what it means to be a disciple and how essential a, a life of worship is to our formation. Worship in the gathered community where we recite our liturgies, but God, help us to remember and give us the strength to worship you in the normal, everyday aspects of our lives. Lord, help us to have the strength to orient ourselves towards you and remind us, Holy Spirit, when we get distracted, be that convicting word that you have been in our lives so often. Just continue, Lord, to, to pursue us and not let us become indoctrinated so as to just be sucked into the culture and make no difference for you. Lord, thank you for the gift of this community, the gift of this, this body of Christ and the practices. Thank you for what you've given us to keep us strong. May we feast on you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, let's stand together and sing our closing hymn, number 139, Praise to the Lord the Almighty.